Storms will come. Jesus reminds us of this. We've all experienced them too often. They beat us up and try to destroy us. They threaten us, cause us to fear. They are unrelenting. But we needn't worry. The enemy cannot throw us off balance or knock us down if we are rooted in Christ and his teachings. The way to weather the storms, attacks, and threats is to remain standing on the truth. What storms threaten you right now? The temptation is always to go forward by our own wits and wisdom. But Solomon reminds us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not to lean on our own understanding. If we will acknowledge him at all times, he will direct our paths. We will weather the attack if we do it his way. Good morning. So glad to see so many people here in the middle of August when you could be at the beach or somewhere else. Church is a place to be. <laughs> All right. Uh, my name is Taryn Ramsey. For those of you who don't know me, I've been on staff here at the church for about 10 years now. I started as an intern in 2006, and they had me doing just about everything uh, from kids club to cleaning the carpets to uh, being mentored in youth ministry under Dennis and Shauna Perron, and it's been a fantastic 10 years in ministry. I think the church is running out of hats for me to wear, so it's really great to be here, and it's my honor and privilege to share the word of God with you this morning. Um, just so that you know a little bit about myself, I don't know if many of you know me that well, I am a lifelong Manitoban, and uh, go Bombers and go Jets and all the other things like that. And uh, I went to Bible school in Saskatoon at Central Pentecostal College and graduated with a three-year diploma in pastoral ministries and came back here to serve in Winnipeg and uh, have just really thoroughly enjoyed my time in ministry here, have had uh, lots of ministry highs and lows and all in-betweens and it's just been such an honor and a privilege to to serve at this church and uh, it's been a long time since I've been on this side of the announcements on Sunday mornings usually you'll see me uh, leading you in worship and singing along and just having a great time with you guys um, but this morning we are in our eighth installment in our summer series getting strong now and uh, I've been blessed and been given the privilege to talk to you about storms and how to prepare for them. So being a lifelong Manitoban, I grew up in a small town, Verdon, Manitoba. Has anybody heard of it? Yeah, a couple of you. That's good. This, in the first service they clapped and I had no idea why. <laughs> uh, it's a small town about three hours from here. And uh, does any of you have moms like this? It could be the middle of summer, it could be the hottest, clearest day out there, and you go out to play with your friends, and your mom says, don't forget to take a... Nothing? Jacket. Don't forget to take a jacket, a storm might come. And in Manitoba, we know that... Well, there's two things that we know that happen in summer. Number one, we've got the road construction, right? We've been dealing with this mess on Logan Avenue for a number of months now. And uh, they're not supposed to be done till October, and I think they're behind schedule even, so we'll keep enjoying that road construction well into the fall. And the second thing that we know about summer is that storms are coming. Have any of you ever been out uh, on a farm field or driving out where it's really flat and a storm just comes up really quickly? That's why mom always told me to bring a jacket. 
Yeah. So I have never been I've never been more aware of storms other than uh, this this summer. I've been really aware of storms. Did you know that over 20 inches of rain usually falls in Winnipeg in the summer months? That's pretty crazy. It's really wild. Um, so this year, I've been really, really keen to the weather. Uh, we've been installing sod in our house. Not in our house, but on our lawn. Uh, we moved into a new home last year and the, at the end of summer, and then this year we decided that we were going to do sod. And so we contracted out uh, a landscaping company to come, and they come and level it all off. And then they come and put uh, three inches of topsoil down, which I was very excited. Oh, great, the sod's going to come any day now. And it turned out that the farm that produces the sod was backed up because of uh, storms the week before. And I have never been more aware of the weather than when I have three inches of topsoil on my property. And this is because I have a three and a half year old at home who likes to play in the mud. So every day it was like, okay, is it gonna rain today? Because I have absolutely no idea what we're gonna do if we have a gigantic mud puddle happening in our yard. And the three-year-old knows how to open the front door and sneak out without us knowing. There's nothing I can do to stop the storm from coming and to stop the mud from coming into my house. So I've spent uh, a, a good week this summer worrying about the weather and being very aware of storms and how quickly they can come and how devastating they can be. And of course, you know that I'm going to tie this into our spiritual lives and, and our everyday lives. Storms can brush up pretty quickly. Uh, we can go through life not being prepared for storms. And uh, the outcome can be pretty disastrous if we're not prepared. Sometimes we crumble under the pressure and our lives end up being a muddy disaster. Um, in another vein, talking about storms, uh, in the last couple of years, my husband and I have spent a great deal of effort uh, getting our financial lives in order. We had our daughter Casey in 2013, and I decided, okay, it's time for us to be real adults and function on a budget, and you know, my husband works in finance, so he was all for it, and we went through hard work and got, got out of debt and built ourselves an emergency fund, and, and then we had the privilege of offering uh, a class through the church. I may have heard announcements over the last year or so of sign-ups needed for the class, and so we offered Financial Peace University as, as a couple and hosted the class, and we've learned a lot of really interesting things about being prepared for, for life that happens. And I just wanted to share with you a couple of interesting statistics that I've come across as we've learned how to do this. So in a US study the Federal Reserve conducted, they found that only 53% of Americans could cover a $400 emergency without going into debt or selling something. Did you know that if you're an adult in Canada or the US or anywhere in the world, you are 100% likely in the next decade to have a financial event in your life that can cost you up to $5,000. Now, society these days, we just put things on credit cards or the line of credit or the overdraft. We are, we're fully prepared to borrow money in case a storm comes. Our culture has taught us to live so close to the margin that uh, we can't cover, cover simple, unexpected events in our life. We borrow our way out. And this can happen too in our spiritual lives. We live so close to the margin and we're unprepared for storms that happen in our lives and we find ourselves treating God more like a loan officer instead of the Lord of our lives. We beg him to 
get us out of our, our trouble instead of being prepared for storms that come. Now, how many of you would have grandparents that would shake, your, shake their heads at the condition that society is in financially? Back then, if you wanted something, you saved for it. If you couldn't afford it, you didn't buy it. And, and our grandparents also did this really, really strange thing that all of us would find peculiar. They would put money aside for emergencies just in case a rainy day came along. Now there's that parallel again with the storm. They just keep that money saved up and if their car gets a flat tire, they just take it from the emergency fund. Interesting. It's interesting how we, we use rain and storms to describe unexpected events in our lives. It's definitely not unwise to prepare for a financial event, an unexpected financial event, and I definitely believe that it's not unwise to prepare for an unexpected event spiritually either. Jesus confirms that storms are coming in our lives. In uh, John 16:33, he says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. And we even see it throughout scripture, lots of characters in the Bible. And we don't say characters because they're made up. We, we just say characters because that's how we grew up in Sunday school. But people who lived in the early Bible times went through many storms. We see Abraham and Sarah unable to have children. Joseph goes through lots of storms. He annoys his brother with all of his dreams, his brothers with all the dreams that he's having. And uh, they sell him into slavery, and he ends up in jail, and Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to sleep with her, and it's, he just goes through lots of storms. Moses, one of my favorite people in the Old Testament, he leads people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and, you know, through the plagues and the seas part, and, you know, he goes through a lot. And uh, it, they're out there in the wilderness, they wander for 40 years, and they're whining and complaining, oh, Moses, we're hungry, and where are we going, Moses? Are we there yet? And they, they just whine and moan and complain, and Moses, can we just go back to Egypt when we were in slavery? And Moses can't take it anymore. Like, he, he gets with God, and he says, God, you need to kill me to get me away from these people because I can't take any more of their whining. Can any parents relate? <laughs> My three-year-old just started the why phase, and I can totally relate to that. God, I can't stand it anymore. Uh, Naomi in the book of Ruth, that's Ruth's mother-in-law, she went through an amazing amount of storms. She moved into a foreign land where the religion was unknown to her and her family, and her husband died, and her only two sons died, and she's left there with, with uh, her daughters-in-law, and just goes through some amazing storms. David chased down by Saul after he's anointed as the next king and cheats on his wife and tries to murder the husband of his adulteress and loses a child. And Jeremiah, I've been studying in the book of Jeremiah this month and it's just amazing the storms this guy goes through. Like he, He's used as God's mouthpiece to Israel and they just won't listen and God has really had enough with the people of Israel and is ready to wipe them out, and Jeremiah is whew, just having a rough time. Paul and the apostles, they went through storms, literally and figuratively, martyred for their faith. 
Jesus even went through his own storms in life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was so anguished with the thought of going to the cross that he sweat drops of blood. So we see that storms happen. They come in many shapes and sizes. Maybe you're in a storm right now. Maybe your finances are in terrible shape. Maybe you're having problems with your spouse or you've had a health scare or the kids are acting up. Maybe your house is falling apart or you're about to lose your car. Sometimes storms happen as a result of natural consequences for the decisions that we make and sometimes they're totally out of our control. What must we do to prepare for storms? Well, since we're in this series getting strong now, I really hope that uh, today's sermon and message will, will help you to get strong and to build your faith in God. Um, one thing that we're going to learn together is that we can and should prepare for the storms that are coming in this life. Let's have a look at uh, what Jesus says about this subject in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 25. He says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And if you continue on into verse 26, it says, but anyone who hears this teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So these verses here that I'm reading are at the conclusion of uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and that's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus does, uh, gives many lessons over this entire sermon, and uh, he gives these directives to everybody who's in attendance, to the crowd, to the audience there. Now Jesus starts this verse with a simple word, therefore. I grew up in a small Pentecostal church, and my preacher always said, or our pastor would always say to us, if you find a therefore in scripture, that is a key, and it's a trigger for you to go back and see what it's there for. You have to go back and see, why is Jesus saying therefore? What are these teachings that he's trying to teach us? So, uh, this comes up every time we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, every time Pastor Allen preaches on it. He says, go back and read the Sermon on the Mount. So you've got your homework set out for you this week. Go home, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It'll take you 20, maybe 30 minutes. It's great reading, and it's direct teaching from Jesus, and you're going to find out all sorts of great stuff. He goes over the Beatitudes, being salt and light, seeking the kingdom of God. He goes through the Lord's Prayer, and a lot of other teaching that was central to what he taught throughout his entire life here in ministry on earth. But back to our scripture, Jesus in these verses is separating the crowd. And he does this a few times in scripture while he's preaching to crowds. He'll separate them into groups. And I think he does this so that we, the listeners, can self-identify. What crowd are we in? We hear him talk about the sheep and the goats. And he talks about uh, the uh, scattering of the seeds at another point in the New Testament. 
And so in this particular passage, he's, he's sorting the people into two groups. And so as we read along with this, what group do you identify with as we listen to today's message? So this crowd, many, many men, women, and children, mostly Jewish, uh, they're into two groups. The first one, Jesus uh, put Jesus' teaching into practice, and he calls them wise for it. He says, anybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The second group is called out by Jesus. Those who don't put his teaching into practice will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, there's something I want you to know about uh, Jewish culture, especially in the New Testament days. They were experts at listening to messages. They all understood this. They were actually all very well educated. They could understand, comprehend, debate. That was one thing that the Jewish culture loved to do, was they debated teachings that they heard, and they really, really worked through what the points of the message were so that they understood it. So they, could, they knew the message so well that they could debate it. And they thought they had heard an excellent sermon. Now let, let God speak to you this morning. Every Sunday morning, I know that I come here to Cross Church, and whoever's speaking up here, we hear an excellent message. And we go out for lunch, and oh, that was just an excellent sermon, and then we go home and we go on our way. But Jesus is challenging us to go one step further. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, puts them into practice, is like a wise man. He's calling us to go beyond what we understand and put it into practice. Jesus is telling us that it's not enough to hear, understand, comprehend, discuss, debate. We must do the things that Jesus is asking us to do. That is what prepares us and builds a foundation for the storms that come. Uh, let me give you a personal example that I think will help paint this picture a little better. Um, the, the Olympic closing ceremony is tonight. Is anybody else totally obsessed with the Olympics? Love watching it. Just fantastic seeing Usain Bolt win again and just really cool. Nobody else is obsessed with it? Oof. Lots of non-sports people here today. Rough crowd. Well, anyway, I have been obsessed with the Olympics since I'm, I was old enough to remember watching TV, and I especially love the Olympics in my childhood and my teenage years because I would stay up as late as I could keep my eyes open till get a, a little bit of sleep, wake up, and watch the Olympics all over again. I don't care how much it repeated. I love watching the Olympics. I just think it's a fantastic thing. So um, the Summer Olympics are my favorite, and my favorite sport in the Summer Olympics or event is diving. Is anybody else a big diving fan? Okay, we've got some fans. So uh, I especially remember watching diving in the 1996 and 2000 Olympics in Atlanta and Sydney, and I was like, oh, I'm going to become an Olympian. I am going to win the gold medal in diving for Canada. And so I learned everything that there was to learn. There's the three meter and the 10 meter, and there's the inward two and a half twist, and this is how you do a ripped entry. And man, I became good at judging and knowing exactly what all the moves were in Olympic diving. I could get up there and judge alongside all those professional judges and hand out the medals too. I'm gonna be an Olympic diver and I'm gonna be a champion. Oh, it's gonna be great. And then, there's one thing's kind of standing in the way. The closest diving board was, you know, about an hour away, and I didn't have a car or my license. Uh, so 
I finally got a chance to try out the, the three-meter springboard. Uh, we went public swimming one Sunday afternoon after church at the Brandon Sportsplex. So if anybody's been there before, they've got the one lone diving board. And uh, I climbed up there, and I'm going to go do this. And I get up there, and is anybody afraid of heights? <laughs> My legs just started shaking. And even being up that high and looking down, even talking about this, like the... the the arches of my feet just ache thinking about being up that high. And oh yeah, like I'm extremely clumsy and uncoordinated. I can't even do a backflip on a trampoline. And uh, I, I'm gonna be an Olympic diver and I get up there and you know what? Maybe I'm just a diving enthusiast. Maybe I just really like watching diving on TV because I, I don't have any of the training or regimen or will to do any of this because it's really scary and I think we can definitely draw a parallel to that because a lot of us hear a message in church on Sunday morning we show up faithfully and you know shake hands with the pastor oh that was just what I needed to hear pastor and over lunch you know maybe discuss with a friend or a family member or your spouse oh that was a great message and yeah I liked when he talked about this one point but that's where it ends and if, if that's where it ends for you every week, maybe you're just a church enthusiast. If you're really a Christian, you're going to put the words that Jesus has said to us into action. Remember, the Jewish people, they could recite Jesus' messages and argue them and, you know, really deep dive on all the points that he was making. But he separated them into two groups. He said, these people listened and did what I said. They're wise. They're going to make it. These people just heard, and they didn't do anything else, and they crumbled under the pressure. They were foolish. Um, I was trained as a classical Pentecostal in a Pentecostal Bible school, and uh, it, it went to all the, the preaching classes, and they always tell you, go to a, go to a commentary and, and see what the commentary has to say when you're studying scripture. So this is what I did, and my favorite uh, commentary writer is Matthew Henry. And so I looked up these verses and what he had to say about them, and really, I couldn't break them down into my words. I just had to put them word for word in here because it, it really spoke to me. So I'd like to read it to you. And uh, he speaks in a bit of a, an older English, so excuse his words, but I hope that they speak to your heart this morning. And, and his commentary on Matthew 7 says, to do Christ's sayings, so he's talking about, you know, Jesus saying, go do this. He says, to do those things is to conscientiously abstain. That means don't do the sins that he forbids and perform the duties that he requires. Our thoughts and affections, our words and our actions, the temper of our minds, what we think, and the tenor of our lives must be conformable to the gospel of Christ. In other words, everything that we think, say, do, and have an attitude towards must conform. It must be like the gospel of Christ. That is the doing he requires. All the sayings of Christ, not only the laws he has enacted, but all the truths he has revealed must be done by us.
So when Jesus says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's, that's what Matthew Henry is saying. He's saying everything that you think, say, do, have an opinion about, have an attitude towards, must conform to the gospel of Christ. They are a light not only to our eyes, but to our feet, and are designed not only to inform our judgments, but to reform our hearts and lives. And then he says this, nor do we indeed believe them if we do not live up to them. So basically he's saying, if you don't believe what Jesus is telling you to do and don't live up to that, you don't believe Jesus. You're basically saying that Jesus is a liar when you don't do the things that he says. Well, I don't know about you, but that's just really encouraging. I think we should just wrap it up and go home, right? No. (laughs) We need to develop habits in our lives. The only way that we can withstand storms and live up to what Jesus is telling us to do, I mean, the, the standards that Jesus actually puts out there, like if you really read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the things that Jesus is asking us to do are impossible by human standards. It is impossible to do exactly the things that Jesus is asking us to do without sinning and messing up from time to time. But the one thing that I want us to go away from this morning, having learned, is that habits are what get us through everyday life. The only way to stay strong and to make it through the storm is to form habits based on his teachings. Habits are what build that firm foundation that Jesus is talking about, and they prevent us from crumbling. Jesus is telling us that the storm is coming. A storm is always coming. We are never totally at rest in our Christian life. And we need to get prepared. All right, back to the Olympics. I said I would keep myself to two Olympic illustrations this morning, and I'm hoping I can stick to it. Um, I've been particularly interested in Michael Phelps' journey of his last Olympics. Anybody else watch him swim at all this year? Okay, some of you are starting to admit that you watch the Olympics, thank you. Um, he, He first competed at 15 in the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, and he's the most decorated swimmer. This year he won six medals, all of them gold except for one silver. He holds world records and is probably the greatest Olympian of all time, and probably won't see anybody quite like him for a lot of years. He's really, really great swimmer. And this year, the interviews have kind of changed because they say swimmers kind of peak. They have their peak performance around age 24, 25. And Michael Phelps is 31 competing at this year's Olympics. And, you know, he's beating people that are five, ten years younger than him. And uh, by the way, I don't think 31 is, is very old anymore. I passed that a while ago. So uh, 31 is still young in my books. And, and they say, how do you beat people who are a decade younger than you. And it's really interesting, because he, what he says in interviews when they ask him this question, he says, oh, I just go back to my training rituals. He eats the same thing. He eats like 10,000 calories a day when he's training. Like that's way more than a person should be able to eat. I don't know, I think I would probably get quite large eating that much food. Um, <laughs> thanks for laughing. <laughs> <laughs> he eats 10,000 calories a day, and when he's training for, for events, he's, he sometimes swims, um, how many, is it 80,000? Yeah, 80,000 meters a week. That's like, he swims 50 miles a week 
when he's training. Like this guy knows how to work hard and, and get towards his goals. And they, they interviewed him and said, well, well how, how do you psych yourself up for, for a high pressure event where you know you're swimming against other world-class swimmers and the competition is really high? Like sometimes he wins these events by like hundredths of a second. Like that's like a pinky's length sometimes. It's, it's phenomenal how he pulls out the wins. And he says, you know what? Inexperienced swimmers on a high-pressure race day, they might uh, try and change up their, their routine that morning. They may eat something different, or uh, if they're feeling off, they might do a different warm-up in the pool. But whether it's just a training day for me, or it's a high-pressure competition day where I know the pressure's on and the TVs are watching and, and everybody's commenting, I still do the same thing every day. That's how I win. Now, isn't that interesting that that's how he wins? He works hard, he does all the training, but when it comes down to it, he has the exact same habits every day, whether it's just a normal training day or he wakes up and he's got you know a, a gold medal swim at the Olympics. He's in the final and he's gonna win the gold. He does the same thing every day. Can I maybe draw a parallel that this should be how we treat our lives when it comes to habits, when we meet with God. Now, if you're a regular attender here at Cross Church, I think you probably know where this is going. Can anybody guess where this message is going? Oh, good. Whew. The seven habits. Now, I know some of you are so familiar with this, I can almost hear your eyes rolling into the back of your head. When are they going to move on from the seven habits? I'm so sick of hearing about it. Well, listen, there's new people here today that have no idea who I am or what this church is all about. We have, uh, through observation of successful Christian lives, we've picked out seven daily habits that Christians should be should be doing, or weekly, I guess, habits that Christians should be doing that will help you lead a successful life. Now, we don't hold this up with the sanctity of Scripture. It's just observations, and it's a simple discipleship model that our church has put together. And we think that it's fantastic. And, you know, if your eyes are rolling into the back of your head, I hope you're listening extra carefully today because um, we're not done preaching this. Like, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid just as much as any person on staff is drinking it. We're going to preach the seven habits till the cows come home, till they get restless, till they go out on holidays and come back home with a suntan. We're going to keep preaching the seven habits here at Cross Church. So part of our culture and part of the reason why I think people go, oh, this again, why are they preaching on this again? I know all this already. Part of the reason and part of our culture I think that's kind of ingrained in us is that we just want the shortcut. Give me the shortcut and uh, I'm gonna be fine. I really don't wanna have to go through all that hard work. I just wanna get to the finish, to the mountaintop where everything's cool with me and God and you know, I can, the storms aren't gonna come anymore and I'm gonna be happy. Can you just tell me that part, Taryn? Tell me that part and we can go home and I'll be happy, but if I read my Bible, I can't preach that message. I can't. In Philippians, Paul says to the people in Philippi, he says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And I love what it says in the NIV version where it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
The key action word in that verse being to work hard at our salvation. The Greek word, and it's, you know, about 10 miles long, and I'm not even going to attempt to to pronounce it, um, it signifies that you need to work thoroughly at your faith, taking true pains to work through it, to painstakingly work through our salvation. That sounds like working through a lot of storms, doesn't it? The very definition of the word indicates that there will be pain in working. There will be storms that come in our lives as we work through our salvation. And as a Christian, we don't need to reinvent the wheel or come up with new approaches. Very often, truth is simple. And we, you know, in our very educated information age where we can Google anything, uh, you know, what's the life hack for not having to go through struggles? How can I avoid this pain? But the truth is simple. Jesus wants us to work through our salvation and he wants us to be prepared for the storms that will come in our lives. So those of you who maybe are sick of hearing the seven habits, maybe, maybe this message is for you this morning. Or maybe it's your first time hearing them and you're like, oh, great, more information. Let's take some notes. There's a great notes section in your bulletin. But let's get serious. Let's do an examination. Open book test. How are you doing in the seven habits? Are you walking with God every day? Do you read scripture? Is the idea of sitting down and spending time in God's word and, and praying, is that, does that sound like a tranquil getaway or like a visit to the dentist? No offense to any dentists that are here today, but I don't like the dentist. Does God know what you're going through? Do you tell him what your fears are and what you're struggling with? When was the last time you opened your Bible, or you younger guys, when was the last time you opened your Bible app? One of the first things, uh, I just, uh, I was asked to, to step into youth ministry. We we've, we've ha have a hole there, and I was asked to step in. And one of the first things I'll do if a student comes to me and says, oh, I'm struggling with this with my mom or with my teacher, and I say, does God know about it? When was the last time you opened your Bible and read it? And I kid you not, 100% of the time, they'll come back, thank you for telling me to read my Bible. That's exactly what I needed to hear. How are you doing? Like, Do you spend time with God? The second habit, attend church regularly. Husbands, do you just attend church to appease your wives? Do you show up late? And I say this with no condemnation or judgment or bias because I lead worship and, you know, it's hard to start with an empty room. But I loved how Pastor Allen was talking last week about uh, being in Burundi and teaching 144 pastors. They just tried to squeeze every drop out of the teaching. I've been to Burundi and I've been to Zambia and, and I've been to a couple other places as well. And just the hunger that people have when they come to church, they, they just sing and worship and, and they take notes of the message. And sometimes, and, and I, again, I mean this with no condemnation, but if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I really hope that you're listening. But sometimes we treat the lunch after church with more reverence than coming here to hear God's word. And I don't mean that, you know, we've got the most anointed worship leaders and that Pastor Allen is, you know, God's right-hand man and we're hearing directly from God. I don't mean that to elevate the people that are involved in the services. I really don't. 
But what I do mean to say is that God has created this thing called a church family, and you have a weekly opportunity to come and to hear God speak to you, and some of you will treat the lunch afterward with much more circumstance than the actual service. Do you come late because the music isn't your style? I've got my own opinions on that as a worship leader, but I will say this. Every music style is God's style, and when we get to heaven, like singing here is just practice, but when we get to heaven, we will worship in every style and every verse and every song. Again, I don't mean that as, you know, me judging people who show up late, but as a Holy Spirit thing talking to your heart. Do you show up late for church? Do you leave early so you don't have to talk to anybody so that you can get out of the parking lot first? Squeezing every drop you can out of church. Habit number three, are you being holy moment by moment? When it comes down to a tough decision, do you really ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Is there an area of your life that you hope nobody finds out about? Is there a television show that you're watching that makes you wince? Oh, that's probably not a good thing to watch. You're in a small group. Chris uh, just gave an announcement this morning. We got another three-week term coming up. It's three weeks. I've had people, I, well, I haven't had people say to me, but, you know, we, we talk about it at staff meetings. Oh, how can we get more people involved and engaged? And, oh, small groups are so great. We have powerful times of prayer. And then, you know, it's, it, people say, well, you know, my, my knitting club takes up a lot of my life, so no thanks. I'm too busy. Where are your priorities if you're too busy to meet with God's people? I'll say that again. Where are your priorities if you're too busy to meet with God's people, to connect with one another? Um, Chris often says that circles are better than rows. In rows here at church, you hear someone speaking at you. In circles, you can encourage each other. You can ask questions. You can pray for one another. It's fantastic in our small group. Uh, someone in our group just had a baby, and uh, all the ladies in our group got together, and we cooked meals, and we delivered gifts and food. And, you know, it's just so great that we can care for each other on that practical level. And I hear of other groups. You know, there will be a death in, in one of the group members' families, and the whole group surrounds them, and there's hospital visits, and all sorts of care that can happen. If God is speaking to you today about this particular habit, talk to Chris after the service and join a small group. Just give it a shot. It's three weeks. If you hate it, we'll talk about it after. But really, like, if this is God's family and you don't want to participate, what does that say about you? Are you serving somewhere? We have a fantastic serving orientation program that Janet Chow runs, and she's done a really great job of training and helping get it, help getting people connected. And we have needs everywhere in this church, and we're not asking for volunteers so that, you know, we can put on programming and you know check this, check this box off. Yeah, we got people serving. Blah blah blah. We are advancing God's kingdom together. Isn't that exciting? Don't you want to be part of a church that? 
helps people grow and spreads the gospel and teaches children how to love God. Did you know that our kingdom program this fall is in dire need of volunteers? Our greeting ministry, if you're good at smiling and making small chit-chat with people and wearing a blue shirt with a name tag, man, greeting ministry is where it's at for you because you can have a ton of fun doing that. I know Barry needs lots of volunteers to help there. I'm doing youth ministry. We need a Friday night transit leader desperately. Someone who can coordinate curriculum and communicate with volunteers and call the kids who are missing and tell them that we love them and that we want them to develop their own faith. Like This is advancing God's kingdom and we flat out have people saying, nah, not interested. Maybe some other time. Finally, giving. Ugh. That's a tough one. It's really tough. I'm the only staff member here at the church that uh, sees the, the uh, detailed giving reports. And uh, I sign the, uh, the tax receipts at the end of the year. And it's, a, it's an interesting position to be in. And I could say all sorts of things to people. But I, I'm going to say two things. When we see, firstly, when we see somebody begin to tithe... There is nothing more exciting than that, seeing someone begin to give back to God. And then you also get to kind of know what's going on in that person's life and that God is blessing them. And they're connected. There's no way there's a, it's coincidental that they started tithing and God's blessing them. It's not a coincidence. The second thing I'll say about that, and again, I... I mean no condemnation, I don't single people out. But when people are giving God a tip instead of a true tithe, he knows where your heart is at, you can't hide from him. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And this church does not need your money. Uh, Don Davidson and I, uh, he, he usually oversees the counting of the offerings every week and you know, we're, we're talking finances and we wring our hands and worry and, and struggle when, when finances aren't you know, where we've projected them to be. God doesn't need your money, he doesn't. Every year we have you know, had blips and worries and we wring our hands and he has provided faithfully every year. He owns all the cattle, 10,000 cattle on 10,000 hills or, and a blip in finances does not mean a lick to him. So we don't look to you guys and go, oh, if people would only give more. God wants your heart. And he knows wherever your money is, there your heart is also. So without condemnation, if you're tipping God, can I challenge? Give a tithe. I missed one habit. And that's discipleship. I missed it on purpose. Some of you are sitting here today going, yep. Yep, 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 I got them, I got them all, bingo! The sixth habit is discipleship. Growing deeper in your relationship with God. What is that one thing that God is prodding you to do that you're sort of ignoring? You know, you're maybe staying in your infancy stages of Christianity because you're refusing to listen and to obey God. Can I challenge you to grow? Can I challenge you to share your faith with your neighbors? Does your neighbor even know that you're saved and that you know the truth? My challenge to you this morning is get these seven habits in order. 
that's what's going to build a foundation. The truth is very simple. It's very direct. There's no magic formula. I'll just share a, a simple story from, from my life. Last year, as I said, you know, we moved into a new home and we moved before our other home had sold because we, we went through a builder and built a new house. And we went through a nine month storm with that, with that house on the market. It was really difficult. And six of those nine months, we were paying two mortgages. And it was really difficult, and it would, it would have been really easy to kind of give up and, you know, God doesn't really care about the details of my life. And, but throughout that time, you know, I, I was praying with my, my real estate agent, he's a Christian, and, you know, they, could, they were scratching their heads, why doesn't this house sell? And, you know, it really felt like a turbulent time in our life, and we decided that we were going to tithe through that time, we were going to be faithful to our church, We'd be faithful to God. And we made it through the storm. And just as Paul directed, we worked through our faith with fear and trembling and not knowing what the outcome was going to be and, and how long we were going to suffer. And, you know, maybe that doesn't seem like a big storm to you, but it was difficult to us. And I can honestly say that because this foundation was in our lives, because we were practicing the seven habits and being faithful to God, that's the only thing that got me through. The seven habits, you know, might be old hat to you, but it's simple truth. This is what will build a foundation in a storm. This, when you practice the seven habits, you're taking the words of Jesus and you're putting them into practice. And Jesus says, you are like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. I just want to close with one more story. Um, how many of you are familiar with the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul? Anybody? Any old hymn lovers? I, I was a musician before I ever went to Bible school, and musicians are their own special breed. And uh, I loved hymns. Hymns are where I learned my theology. And uh, where I really learned about God, and, and I, love, I love it when hymns speak in metaphor. They paint pictures as you sing. And the first lines of that hymn are, When peace like a river attendeth my way, and when sorrows like sea billows roll. The hymn was written in 1873 by Horatio Spafford. And uh, it was written after several traumatic in, uh, events in his life. The first was uh, in the Great Chicago Fire. He lost his two-year-old son, and uh, he lost everything that he had. He had a great. He was a wealthy lawyer and had a great deal of property in the area of the fire, and he lost it all. His business interests were further hit by the economic downturn in 1873 after the fire, and at that time he planned to travel to Europe with his family. And uh, last minute, they changed plans, and he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him. Uh, so he could deal with uh, some zoning problems in, in rebuilding some of those buildings lost in the fire. And uh, on that trip, while crossing the Atlantic, the ship sank rapidly after a collision with a sea vessel, and all four of Spafford's daughters died. And his wife, Anna, survived and sent him the now-famous telegram and says, Saved Alone. And then shortly afterwards, he, uh, he left Chicago and went across the Atlantic to go be with his grieving wife. They'd now lost five children. 
And uh, just at the point where uh, they were about to cross, where the, where the past ship had sank, and he lost four of his daughters in that accident, he had his pen out and he decided to, to write this hymn. And he wrote the next words in the first verse. It says, Whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Could you imagine writing those words? I can't even imagine saying them out loud. Right in the spot where your daughter's drowned. Whatever my lot, Lord, whatever comes my way, you have taught me to say that it is well with my soul. Friends, the only way you can weather a storm like this man did is to build a foundation in your life. To put these seven habits into practice, we're going to keep preaching them. I'm sorry. Not sorry. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm smoking what I'm selling. None of you caught that. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. But you know what? It's time to get serious. Stop treating church like another event in the week and another box to tick off. Get serious about your relationship with God and build that foundation in your life because when that storm comes, it's going to rock you. If you're going through a storm right now, if you're in a tough time, don't stop doing these habits. Do them on your best day and your worst day. Build that relationship with God. Build that trust. We know that if we trust in God, that no matter what we face, we can survive. If you need prayer this morning, if you're going through a tough time, I'm going to have uh, some elders come up to the front. And um, if you'd rather speak to a female, if you're a female, we'll have that available for you as well. But don't take lightly the words that Jesus is teaching you. Do what he says. He says, if you hear and only hear and do nothing else, you're a foolish person. Put the seven habits into practice. Build that foundation. And center your life around Christ. It's time. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, We've heard your word, and we know that the truth of your word is very simple, but very difficult. We ask God for the courage this morning to do the things that your Holy Spirit is prompting us to do, to take steps to make our lives aligned with your truth. And this morning, for the person that is struggling, Lord, I just pray that they would reach out to you, that they wouldn't turn away and crumble under the storm that they would turn to you a firm foundation. I thank you, Lord, for your word and your truth and your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Tell your neighbor, how are those seven habits going? <laughs>